Let us join in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz. By Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed. By Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon. By the wife of Uriah. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, etc., etc., etc. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon. 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The, the word, word of God for the, the people, people of God. God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And I would invite any children who are here in the sanctuary to come up and join me. And if you're worshiping from home, get a little closer to your screens. We'll wave to you. We had a big group at 845. Everybody woke up early this morning. Look good, we got some folks coming down and hopefully some joining us online. Come and have a seat. I'm so glad to see you guys. Oh, come on up, just a couple more. While you guys are walking up, I wanna show you and everybody here this book that I have. It's called The Tailors of Tabernacle. And my mom's dad came from a big family tree, and I have some cousins that collected all sorts of information about that side of the family and put it together in a book. So we've got pictures and stories and excerpts from their journals and things. So at least in one part of my family, I know the names of the people who go way, way back. And when I read this book, it makes me feel like I belong to this family. And it helps me know some things about myself and about my family and cousins. But you know, even more important than a book like this, is a book that we call the Bible. Because the Bible tells us the story of all God's family. You got to hear some of our folks reading some names of Jesus' family. 
It's called a genealogy, and Joseph was the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so by Ruth. Did you notice some of that? Those were some of the names of Jesus' ancestors. But when we read the genealogy of Jesus, it helps us remember that we're all part of God's family, no matter who you are, whether you know what your family's history is or not. You belong to God's family, and all of us do. And I'm grateful for that. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the stories of the Bible, because they're the stories of our family the family of the human race that we're all a part of. We all belong. Thank you so much for these wonderful stories that help tell us who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for listening. If you're three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Bill and Pastor Maggie to Children's Church. And if you're older than that, you can go back and sit with parents or friends or both. If you've been around West End for a while, you've heard me talk about this family of mine, my maternal grandfather's family. Once a year, we go to Brownsville, Tennessee for a week and we have a family camp meeting and there are like 600 of us who are all descended from the Reverend Hal Taylor. And on the Sunday of that week, those of us who have had children and want to have them baptized, bring those babies up for baptism during Sunday worship service. And so when it was our turn, when it was David and my turn to bring our children forward, I had to stand up and explain how my child was descended from the Reverend Hal Taylor, who's the original ancestor we all come from. So I would say, this is my child. I am the daughter of Sally Thornton Cavan who is the daughter of Nicholas Perkins Thornton, Jr., who was the son of Ruth Taylor, who was the daughter of Joseph Richard Taylor, who was the son of Richard Taylor, who was the son of the Reverend Hal Taylor, and at that point everyone claps and I take a bow because everyone is impressed that I can do that. But that is the only branch of my family I can do that with. Like most people, with other branches of my family, I can't go back that far. I wish I could. And nowadays, with genealogy and Ancestry.com and 23andMe, more and more of us are discovering these stories and these family trees. There's something in us that, that wants to know where we come from. It wants to feel like we're part of a bigger story, part of a bigger family. One of my favorite new television shows that I've recently discovered is on public television. It's called Finding Your Roots. Anybody ever watched Finding Your Roots? Yes, it's hosted by Dr. Henry Louis Gates. And he works with actors and politicians and musicians and chefs and athletes and famous people to help them discover their roots and their ancestry. I just started watching this, so I, I watched several this weekend in preparation for my sermon today. And I think my favorite one is the episode with the athlete, Michael Strahan. He comes from a line of, on one side, of people who were freed from slavery in, in Texas. And as they trace the roots, that they're able to find their names and find some of their history. He found out that they, they founded a town and created a community in their new freedom. 
He traced his roots back on the other side and found a, a white ancestor that he came from and learned all about that story and how he's related to this whole group, this family with the last name Bishop. And you could see him getting really emotional as he learned these stories and he said, you know, I feel like I finally belong. Like my story is part of the American story. We might have the same experience as we hear the genealogy of Jesus. Because when we hear the story of Jesus' ancestors, we realize that it's our story too. And we learn that just like our family trees are not perfect, Jesus' family tree wasn't perfect either. In every family tree, there are secrets and scandals, there were marriages that weren't too happy, there were children born out of wedlock, there were all sorts of stories that are kind of messy and not always pretty. Somewhere in that book, there's a picture of a group of my ancestors and one of them's faces scratched out and I wanna know why that is. What is that secret in the story? Did that get passed down too? But even in Jesus' genealogy, there are fascinating stories and scandals and messiness that, thanks be to God, Matthew chose to include and bring to light. And so this morning, I want to take a look at Jesus' genealogy. There is so much that Matthew's trying to tell us through this genealogy. You can't even begin to scratch the surface. But what I'd like to do is focus on these five women that Charlotte and LaDonna helped highlight for us in their reading of the genealogy. For one thing, it was very rare for a woman's name to be included in anyone's genealogy. But Matthew intentionally included these women, and I think he had a reason for it. So I'd like to look at these women. Many of them were not Israelites by birth. They were outsiders. Some of them became part of the story out of unconventional means, giving birth to children outside the traditional marriage vow. Many of them showed their own agency, their own desire to be part of the people of God and their own faithfulness. And so I want to look at their stories and, and lay them out before you and, and let you see what you see. What do you think Matthew is trying to tell us about Jesus and the genesis of Jesus? The first woman we come across is Tamar. We learned that Tamar and Judah were the parents of Perez. Now Judah is the oldest son of Jacob. The tribe of Judah is named for him. The land of Judah is named for him. He is the great patriarch of the faith. Tamar was married to his oldest son, Ur. Now Ur died before he and Tamar had a child. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this practice of Leverite marriage that sometimes happened. If the first husband died, then the wife was given to one of his brothers, so that if they had children, they were to the honor and memory of the oldest brother. They would carry on the house of the oldest brother. And that happened with Tamar. She was given to Ur's brother, Onan, in marriage. Well, Onan refused to have children with Tamar. And then he died, so they didn't have any children. She was told by Judah that when his third son came of age, she would be given in marriage to him. But he reneged on his promise. He didn't do that for her. So 
I'm not going to go into detail, but if you want to read the whole story and you're 18 or older, you can go to chapter 38 of Genesis. It's quite the story. But Tamar manages to trick Judah, and she gives birth to his child. And Judah says at the end of that story, she is more righteous than I. Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do for her. He didn't uphold the law. And she took matters into her own hands. By the way, she was a Canaanite. She was an outsider, a Gentile. The next person, the next woman we meet in the genealogy is Rahab, who also was a Gentile and a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho. And when the Israelites were planning to move into Jericho and take it by force, they sent two spies into the city. And Rahab gave them shelter and hid them and lied to the authorities in Jericho because she said, I believe in your God, the God of Israel. I believe your God is the one true God. And so if you will promise to protect my family and to protect me when you take over the city, I will hide you and give you shelter. And they did. And you can read that whole story in the first few chapters of Joshua. Now, we don't know any more about Rahab until we reach Matthew's genealogy, when Matthew tells us that she married into the family. This Gentile became the mother of Boaz and was incorporated into the family tree of the Messiah. The next woman we meet is Ruth. Now, I don't know if you've read the book of Ruth. There's a whole book dedicated to her story in the Old Testament. And I always just feel like it's a book full of generosity and kindness. But Ruth, too, was an outsider. She was a Moabite. And actually, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, No Moabite shall be admitted into the assembly of the people to the tenth generation. The Jews were supposed to keep themselves separate from the Moabites. And yet here's Ruth in the family tree of Jesus. Here's how it happened. There was an Israelite named Naomi who had two sons. There was a famine in the land of Israel, and so they went to the land of Moab to survive the famine. And while they were there, her two sons married two Moabite women, one of whom was Ruth. As the days went on, both of these sons died. And when things got better in Israel, Naomi prepared to move back to Israel. And she told her Moabite daughters-in-law, stay in Moab, start over, go back to your families. But Ruth refused. Ruth said, no, wherever you go, Naomi, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Though she was born a Moabite, Ruth chose to be faithful to the God of Israel. And so she is incorporated into the people of God. She goes to Israel. She meets a man named Boaz. There's some suggestion in the story that she was a little forward with Boaz, a little unconventional. But he fell in love with her, and they married, and they gave birth to Jesse, who was the father of King David. So this Moabite woman is the grandmother of King David. Which brings us to another woman in the story. We don't even have her name in the genealogy. We know her name from the Old Testament was Bathsheba. 
But the way that Matthew places her in the genealogy totally shines the light on the scandal in the family. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, by someone else's wife. You can read that whole story in 2 Samuel. It is David who sees Bathsheba, decides that he wants her, summons her to his chamber, and arranges to have her husband killed on the battlefield. It is a terrible story. It is a low point in the story of King David, and yet it is passed down to us because it is oh so human. And David repents of that sin. He gains forgiveness from God. And it's a reminder that God's grace continues to work even in the worst of scandals. The final woman to be mentioned in the genealogy is, of course, Mary. I don't know about you, but I think of Mary as as one of the purest people in all of scripture. She is young. When the angel Gabriel comes to her, she says right away, let it be with me according to your word. She is willing to carry this child by the power of the Holy Spirit, even though she is not married, and to risk the scorn of her family, to risk being rejected by Joseph. And it's all right there in the genealogy, the way Matthew says it. Jacob was the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah. So here we have the genealogy of Jesus with all of its scandals and all of its messiness. And isn't it a gift to us? I am so grateful that Matthew and all of the storytellers who came in the generations before were willing to tell these very real stories of very real people who were not perfect and yet whom God used nevertheless working in every generation to bring about God's purposes, incorporating into God's mighty acts of salvation these very imperfect people. The fact that Jesus came from a family tree like this makes me realize that no matter what our family tree is, whether we even know what our family tree is, God is at work bringing about God's purposes in each and every generation, in each and every life. What we also see in this genealogy is a God who, even when God calls Abraham and Sarah to be the parents of a particular nation, a particular chosen people of the Israelites, God is all along the way collecting people collecting the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Gentiles and the Moabites, collecting all people and incorporating all of us into God's story. So this morning, whoever you are, whether you know your family history or not, whether you're proud of your family history or not, you belong. We are all part of God's family. We are all incorporated into God's story. It's all our story. And I want to invite you to join me over the next year in reading this story. 
I'm going to write about it tomorrow in my Monday meditation, but I'm looking for 150 people at least to agree to read the Bible with me next year. It's not easy. There's a lot of confusing. There's a lot of messiness in there, just as there is in Jesus' genealogy, just as there is in all of our stories. But as we read it together, we will discover our story rooted in God's story. And we will know that God is at work in us, even now, as imperfect as we are, bringing about God's salvation for the world. Thanks be to God.